Hey everybody, before we start this episode of the MinMax Show podcast, the folks at Fixture Gaming want you to know about the Fixture S1, which is the clip that you put on your Nintendo Switch Pro Controller and actually slide the screen into for a very smooth, comfortable way to play with the Nintendo Switch on the go. You can go to Fixture Gaming's official site and get $5 off by using the promo code MINMAX. You can also check out the Fixture Gaming carrying case, which is a bit extra on top of that, but you can fit everything in there and it even has slots for your cartridges. It's very handy. And because the folks at Fixture Gaming are very generous, they are giving one of these away with the custom MinMax logo on it for the Fixture S1. So if you share this episode of the MinMax Show podcast or any MinMax video or podcast on Twitter, you can use the hashtag GamesFriendsGettingBetter. No spaces. GamesFriendsGettingBetter as you share this episode of the podcast on Twitter and we'll randomly choose somebody to actually win the Fixture S1. So thanks so much to the folks at Fixture Gaming. We appreciate the custom MinMax version and we hope you win it. All right, now I'm on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Kyle Hilliard. It's me. Joined by Suriel Vasquez. It's all. It's me also. And special guest, Rebecca Stone. Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. You're from Twinfinite doing writing over there and the Nintendo Shack podcast. And you have really carved out uh, a beautiful niche for yourself of you've become a go-to Zelda person. So congratulations. You've hit it. <laughs> Thank you. I love being that person. <laughs> How did this evolve? Like everybody has their favorite games, but you've done such a good job by like, okay, I'm streaming Zelda. If you're talking <laughs> Zelda, you need Rebecca Stone or you're nothing. <laughs> Is there ever such thing as too much Zelda? Mm, that's a good question. Kyle, <laughs> have you ever been Zelda'd out? No. And you wrote a book on it, Kyle, and still. I know, that's that's what I was thinking. I was like, did I come close that time? Maybe, but no. <laughs> <laughs> but welcome, Rebecca. Um it's an honor to have you on this Thank Oh Holy you. episode of the podcast, because this episode of the podcast is a big one all about The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD. There's a lot to unpack this. It feels like we're traveling back in time 10 years ago. We can kind of relay all of our lives, where we were at when we first played Skyward Sword, every old debate from 10 years ago, let's dust or blow the dust off it and get back into it. But... Suriel, you've also played Skyward Sword HD, right? Yeah, I, I'm about halfway through it. Uh, I think most of the way through it now, actually. But uh, yeah, I, I've, I've played quite a bit of it. I'm, you know, I, I wrote an impressions piece for Polygon, which you can read on the site right now. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm shocked by a few things and uh, reminded of a, of a lot of other things. Uh, and yeah, this game is. I think Ben Reeves put it in his review best where it, it is a game of high peaks and low valleys, but yeah. I'm enjoying it overall. Oh, good. Okay. We'll get into all that good stuff in the back half of the show. We have some great community questions that people submitted over on Patreon. Also, Kyle, you should uh, look mm -hmm. alive for this part. At the very end of the show, we're going to have a big reveal. We're going to be revealing the next Deepest Dive. The next game we're tackling for the best, most thorough discussion about games on the internet with the Deepest Dive. Um, it's going to be timely. But it's an old game, Kyle. What could it be? Here's a tease. I downloaded it last night. Ooh, all right. Check it out, so everyone. Go, uh, go and check Kyle's files if you want a little spoiler oh, for, for what it could be. 
All right. I think we should probably go back in time first for Skyward Sword, right? Kind of unpack where we were 10 years ago, our thoughts on the game, kind of how its reputation has evolved, because it is a fascinating game, I think, in a lot of different ways. But Rebecca, um, take us back into your life when you were like just craving that next Zelda adventure and you had to wait, what, five years between Twilight Princess, console adventure, between Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword? Like what was your hype level before this thing came out? Oh, so back then, that was what, 2011 or so? Um, I was in high school still. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but yes, I tracked it as much as I could. I um, was always like looking for the next trailer, the next teaser image, whatever they were willing to put out. Um, I grew up playing uh, Zelda games with my dad. And so he was kind of there involved with me. And we were, we were excited for this. We are anticipating it. Um, I, I couldn't get enough of it. And I had known from Twilight Princess how many times it was delayed, kind of anticipating with that and, you know, hoping that it wouldn't be delayed for this. And of course, we got it right away. Um, I think back then I was so disconnected um, with with everything that wasn't Zelda so much that I didn't realize that I needed that extra part of the controller. The, what was it? The, the Wii, Wii Motion, Motion Plus. Plus. Yeah. So we actually, we bought Skyward Sword. We oh, came no. home with it, tried to play it, and we couldn't. <laughs> so we had to that go back sucked. out to the store and get oh. that. I guess we uh, we didn't get the marketing there for that. Um, but then soon enough, we were playing it. Yeah. I remember that day. It was, it was I got a, hit a similar thing with Majora's Mask. Didn't have the expansion pack. Uh, got the game on Christmas. Had to wait to get the expansion pack when all the stores opened after Christmas. Yeah, it is weird. It's kind of like a testament to, I don't know, Nintendo's wiliness or something that it's like, we needed to buy this Wii Motion Plus just to play this game. And I don't even remember buying it. It's like, yeah, at some point I just got that because like, well, of course, if we want to play a new Nintendo game, we're going to have to eventually upgrade the hardware in some way. Yeah, this was this was I mean, it wasn't even so much that. Well, along with it being the Motion Plus required game, it also came in uh, packed like there was a special edition that came in with the Wii, the Wii Remote Plus, which is just like the the remote with the Motion Plus inside it, and that's the right. one that I got. And, right. and yeah, I remember it's like, well, if you know, if you need to upgrade your 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 Wii basically to to get this, it you know, it might, like this was like Nintendo's biggest kind of motion controlled traditional game at that at this point of like this is entirely controlled with the well, not entirely, but like you know, you still use an analog stick, but like this is like the big motion. Zelda that Twilight Princess like kind of couldn't be because it was a GameCube Wii title. Yeah, I uh, really went nuts yesterday and like immersed myself in all of the old review coverage and preview coverage for Skyward Sword. And that is definitely the unifying theme for all the reviews is everybody basically said this now finally reveals the reason for the Wii's existence. Like it took a long time, but this is the first game where it's like motion controls are actually great. And we're looking forward to the bright future of motion controls. And I don't know how- not play Wii Sports? <laughs> right, I don't know how many yeah. examples there are after this of like, this is awesome. Um, but like in, to the point that IGN's review, uh, they said, quote, after slashing enemies with, mo- with motion controls, I never want to go back. Like, that was definitely the idea. It's like, well, this is Zelda moving forward. Is just all in motion controls. Like, yeah. do, you, do you remember that, Rebecca? Do you remember falling in love with the motion controls? I remember being intrigued by it um, because I, I mean, the Wii Sports it worked well enough. I think that was just such a big craze. Everybody had Wii Sports. Everybody was into that. Um, so I think I was excited to see how that translated to a Zelda game. And I remember thinking, like, it would be pretty cool to slash around the sword. Yeah. You know, kind of like it's really me doing it. Um, 
I'm trying to remember how much it actually clicked with me at first. The only thing that I really remember is having a really hard time flying with the the motion controls, Mm. flying in the sky. I think that was the hardest part for me. So I think generally it, it worked well besides that for me. Yeah, I remember like some Giraheem fights were a little bit wonky back in the day and stuff. But overall, I was like, okay. All right, I get what the people are saying. Stab was That's kind of the kicker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but before this game came out, um, I was back at Game Informer at the time, and it was a cover story. And it was a super exciting one, because they showed it in E3, so people got a little bit of hands-on there. And then for Game Informer's cover story, it was like six hours, and we were in, what, Elden Volcano? Is that the name of the volcano serial? Yeah. Yeah, and so this was... So exciting because when it finally was like whispered amongst the office that, oh, Skyward Sword's going to be our new cover. It was, I think with a lot of the Nintendo deals, it was just, they were promising the moon. And what the original idea was that, okay, I was the video producer back then, Rebecca. So I was like, okay, video producer, you're going to fly to Kyoto and Nintendo says they're going to give us a full tour of the studio developing Zelda and you can film everything. I was like, are you kidding? That's insane. And then, of course, like a couple weeks later, it's like, oh, no, it turns out no video allowed whatsoever. But we did get like some exclusive footage to like cut together for video previews and stuff. But hype was certainly building. And it was a lot of discussion about like this feels like another Wind Waker, except you're flying around and exploring these sky islands instead of the islands in the ocean. And I feel like that discussion didn't really hit as hard when the game came out. And mostly people were just talking about this feels like a really strangely contained Zelda game. They kind of miss the overworld, but Kyle, do you remember like your first reaction playing the game then? Yeah. I mean, my life was absolutely insane. I have never had a crazier year than 2011 because I just transported my pregnant wife to Minnesota (laughs) to start a new job at Game Informer. You make it seem like she's in a a U-Haul or something. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was an RV actually. I see. But like so new job, new state, uh first time parent and then I was like damn it, I am making time for Skyward Sword. I don't care if I'm like lo- losing even more sleep and stuff like that, but like I I the motion controls for me were very much like I was thankful they worked rather yeah. than being like enamored with them and wanting it to be the future, but I was like I'm glad it's functional. This is this is definitely I feel more engaged than I have any other Wii game in terms of motion controls. But it didn't it didn't feel like it was locked in for the future of Zelda. Thankfully, frankly, you know. Yeah. I'm trying to remember like the arc of the reception because being within Game Informer, uh certain someone gave it a ten out of ten back at Game Informer, so there was a lot of hype, a lot of pressure on that thing. And critically, like it kicked ass. I mean it's ninety three percent on Metacritic. And then when I started listening to a bunch of podcasts around that time, I remember like 8.4 was pretty critical about it. Other people on podcasts were kind of pointing out, I think, some very accurate things down retrospect. It's like, okay, people were a little too over the moon. But now it's just like, I feel like the tone soured on Skyward Sword about a week after launch. And I don't know if it's ever recovered. But like, Rebecca, do you remember like where you're at for just like love of the game right when it came Uh out? I I feel like this tends to be the case with a lot of Zelda games where 
at first release, everybody's, you know, loving it. Everybody's into it. This is the greatest thing ever. And then as a little bit of time passes, it starts to sink in of, oh, well, you know what? Maybe this part wasn't so great or this part really wasn't as perfect as we we thought it was at first. I think we can say the same with Breath of the Wild and how everybody was talking about it that first week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> well, I mean, there is always that. <laughs> that, that, totally right. conversation, that the public conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah especially, no, especially right. when... I think when you have a lead time on a review, I remember the lead time between reviews and the actual release of the game being yeah. kind of wide. And I think that that was the case for this game, I think, where people were like, well, it's in, like they did it like, you know, they uh, they made another fantastic Zelda game. But yeah, this this feels like it's in line with something like Bioshock Infinite in terms of games that were just like people were falling over themselves to praise and then like the once people got a hold of it they were like yeah i don't know about that <laughs> i don't know what everybody is thinking about but there's definitely a lot of great stuff in there that we can we can unpack but like i i'm trying to think of the zelda games that have risen after release and sank after release like breath of the wild i understand it's contentious but there's still those people that say it's the greatest game of all time and i'm certainly nearing that end of the spectrum but in terms of like big swings well, I feel like. what's that I was saying, I think it's pretty consistent with Breath of the Wild, but yeah. like Wind Waker ha- has had a weird w- oh, yeah. wave oh, of yeah. like ups and downs. I feel uh, like that's mainly gone up since release, though. Don't you think? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm trying to think. Skyward Sword, I think, has gone down since release. Twilight Princess, I think, has gone down as well. I think Link Between Worlds has gone up in a big way where there's now that crowd mm-hmm. of like, oh, actually, if you're paying attention, that is secretly the best Zelda, which is a hot take. I'm trying to think, Rebecca, what are the other trajectories of the Zelda releases? Oh, I I don't ever remember hearing people talk about Link's Awakening too much until like it started to become rumored that they would remake it for the 3DS. Right. And then all of a sudden, everybody wanted a remake of Link's Awakening. Yeah, suddenly it was like, oh, no, that was actually my Zelda. That's the best Zelda. It's certainly... I was going to call it the quirkiest Zelda. Is that fair? Yeah. No? I I think it's definitely not the quirkiest Zelda if you have things like Zelda 2 in the discussion, you have four swords in the discussion. Majora's Mask, I think, has been another one that I think has slowly gone up uh, over the course of its lifespan. Uh, I, I will be the one in the in the chamber saying that the Oracle games are way better than anyone has given them credit for. They're They're so good. Ages (laughs) is probably my favorite 2D Zelda, but... Which I didn't realize until diving into the development of Skyward Sword, but same director as the Oracle games. So yeah, Fujibayashi. Which is interesting. Which is like, you know, there, there are very clear connections in the marketing, especially for, between this game and Breath of the Wild, which I think also has the, the same director. So yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's weird to see history, but uh, yeah, I think the, the I, I think it always is a weird reception, like a kind of a reaction to reviews in a lot of ways. That kind totally. of stuff. Where you know the same way that like you know the 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 house in like in Congress always like loses seats depending on what the like the opposite party uh, of the president is like it's always a reaction to the initial thing right right yeah. so if this game came out and everybody gave Skyward Sword an eight you think now would be like in that I don't know what the equivalent is double dash territory everyone would be like no critics were wrong yeah. double dash rules I, I totally think there would be some degree of that for sure. <laughs> It's so weird trying to track that perception overall. Because I think like people see review, like especially Metacritic stuff now as like, this This is like the opinion of record, right? Like it, Skyward Sword got in 93 and I think the people who are passionate about disagreeing with that are going to make their voice heard. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, believe it or not, the best resource, I think, for like learning about the development of Skyward Sword is there's an old Awada Asks, which is still up, which is great. And it's like, Kyle, I don't know if you've read that recently, but it's like six parts long. It is massive. And they go through like every area in Skyward Sword. And it's fascinating just because it seems like the larger story that's being told. Wait, about hold this- on. Do they, do they go through each one twice? Do they they like do, yeah. And, and then during the actual okay, interview, um, this creature keeps walking slowly up a hill and they have to stop every once in a while to take care of it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's fascinating because it just kind of tells this larger story about ramping up for like, okay, big new console Zelda game. We need to pull in as much talent as we can. So it was largely like a new team. Like they pulled in Fujibayashi as the director who had worked on a bunch of the handheld games. Like he was director for Minish Cap and Four Swords and the Oracle games. And obviously he went on to direct Breath of the Wild. But a lot of like that Breath of the Wild team was forged in the fire of this game's rough development, which at some point Anuma said, uh, quote, the development... Uh, I have to say the mood was very nasty uh, for like the beginning phases of it because they kept having so many detours and reworkings of what they were actually trying to do. And it's fascinating that they said that the entire idea of the game came from, they were talking about how they want these different regions. Okay, we have the sand, we have the volcano. And apparently they were stumped on like the roads in between them and how everything interconnected because the vision from Miyamoto and Anuma was that we want this to be a dense, connected world. Don't make it a broad overview. We think we can compact things down and make it much more dense. Like, here's the quote here. Uh, I think we're able to keep such a big project together because the game world this time is structurally simple. We talk about all these dense places, but structure-wise, there are only forest, volcano, desert, and sky. And so that was an early pillar of theirs, as they wanted it to be dense. So then the idea was, well, how do we navigate these different areas? And Enuma, in that Awada ass, said that the vision was, they thought of Mario 3's overworld. And they're like, why can't we just have it be selecting where you want to go like a Mario overworld? And then they realize the best way to do that is if you're in the sky and able to drop down to these different regions. And so it's so bizarre that the idea of a, the Skyloft and the Skyrim in general came from Mario's map. But that's the way they pieced it together. Um, but it's really interesting. We want to go dig into it and find out all that fun stuff there. Um, let's see. The game itself. I guess yeah. we should talk about how it has aged surreal like the hd version what's it like to go back to this thing yeah it's so interesting i i I totally get why but it's so interesting to see that everyone was like oh yeah um this is the thing that proves the the wii's potential because like i think playing it it's like they've added uh analog controls to this game and my takeaway is like oh yeah that didn't they didn't need motion controls for this game really at all like i i (laughs) <laughs> it, it's shocking how well it works without all of that stuff. Really? That seems crazy. It, it Because, like, the... So they map... The, like, the, the biggest thing is, like, combat, where you have the eight-weight slashes and stuff, right? And I think they map that to the... Well, they, they do map that to the right analog stick, and it works, like, really well. Like, I think it, in terms of, like, the pure physicality of it, I think this is, like, some of the best Zelda's combat has ever been with, like... It's kind of dopey, like... Uh, it like it looks very it's very theme parkish in that like oh the enemy is gonna like put their sword up next to their face in one of four directions and you have to map right. and you, have to, you know attack accordingly but it's like even when you're um fighting like random insects and stuff it feels better to swipe the analog stick uh than it is to just like press the b button to attack i think that like that stuff works better uh and like kyle said like the thrust works a lot better now too that now that it's just a click of the analog stick it's it just feels so much more precise and actually brings out um what i what i liked about that combat um but i 
Um, but yeah, so overall, like uh, the, the like throwing stuff, like the the bombs being thrown overhand or underhand, um, like all like the whip. I think they all feel better with an a- analog stick, and it's kind of shocking, just like how how well even, all that even stuff the works. whip, huh? The whip yeah. feels better on the analog like, because that's because like that's a Wii thing that's like consistently mm-hmm. fun. Like Metroid Prime yeah. Three is like. The whip is great. I, I you know? totally get it. Like, I'm sure there are people who are going to prefer the the motion controls, but and those are still here, by the way. They, they didn't get rid of them. Yeah, you can still use the mm-hmm. the Joy Cons and stuff. But like, there is just something about like knowing the combination of knowing that every time I like you ha- you flick this the the stick with the with the whip, and it still feels cool because you know like latching onto those birds and stuff. It's like forward flick and then backward flick, and it feels cool. And I think there are mm. people who are going to want to do the the whole motion, but I think for me, I like the precision and accuracy of that. Um, but I like that it isn't they didn't um, just replace everything with the button press. That there is a motion uh, to it, right. which I think feels mm. better. And I think that's just not a thing you're going to get in other Zelda games. Like I don't think you're going to have that same physicality because you don't need to because it's all going to be button based, right? So I like so it actually kind of makes it stand out a little bit in a different way among other Zelda controls it's so wild that i mean kyle didn't you have a bet with your wife saying that it was absolutely impossible to ever port skyward sword and now surreal's just like ah it turns out it's great just using buttons it was yeah no i it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that i thought it was impossible it's just that i thought nintendo was dug in their heels and would just never do it because like everything they ever said i mean there was like an interview as recently as like i don't know a year and a half ago where onumo was like, yeah, no, you, you'll never see Skyward Sword without motion. <laughs> I don't think it was like, a year and a half ago. Mind, I think it was, okay, maybe two, it was uh, it was uh, Game Informer, Brian Shea, like, you can Google it. Oh, that's like, right. It pretty recent. Yeah. And, uh, so, and, like, it's funny, yeah, I did have a bet with my wife about that, and it's, like, the funny thing is, is, like, she won the bet, they did release a version without motion controls, and I couldn't be happier to have lost <laughs> that bet. I'm so happy that I lost that bet, you know? <laughs> there are things that I think you know they didn't uh they didn't do a lot of the um kind of reworking for stuff that they did in other Zelda remasters so they're like the dousing is still there the the goddess walls where you have to draw shapes on the wall to get items to pop out of them okay uh, that stuff is all still there and it and you can tell like oh this was a um like you have to explain to people who haven't played the original like oh this was there because they you know they had the Wii right like um but it, it is interesting to see like okay well if this if this game doesn't need the motion controls then like what other Wii games like f- still have that stuff that in a way that feels quintessential and I did like w- in writing my impressions piece where I go into depth about like well if if Skyward Sword doesn't need them what like what does and I think the only two games that I came up with are like the Wii Sports series yeah and uh WarioWare Smooth Moves I think mm. the, I mean those are my two games that I think are fundamentally broken without motion control you're saying the- zach and wiki could be played in 2021 on a switch right now if capcom well, really wanted can't it really be played in 2021 because no one's re-released it but uh good luck having fun with boom blocks sir yeah sir <laughs> yeah, just that'd be so easy you could just end that, do that. that sentence there good luck having uh no but i i think it's it's interesting to see like because for an entire generation, we had like stuff where where every game on the we had to like they basically had to do the opposite of what they're doing here, which is like mm. take a bunch of button controls and turn them into waggle motions, and it just like goes to show how how like blatant that stuff was when you, like the reverse is just as possible and like it doesn't feel like all like it feels 
frustrating to have spent an entire generation where it's just like all those these motion controls just like feel very needless and to have it this feels like a vindication of that uh, of like yeah you could have just had button controls all along and it could have worked almost as well that blows my mind and like they streamlined a bunch of other stuff like rebecca what do you think like when you played the game originally what was the most annoying thing i i don't like the wii remotes at all not just because of the motion of it like the the sensor and the batteries running low so quickly and everything um i so it's not the motion part that i hated i just hate the wii remotes so badly (laughs) yeah Um, i'm also playing the game too uh, oh my god oh i know i do i'm sorry past few days um and i have tried it in all the ways i do agree that i i've been playing in handheld the most with uh, the button controls like you were describing i do feel like that is such a natural way to play it you're absolutely right with what you're talking about about how it just they could have done it this whole time if they really wanted to but you're right with all the puzzles like it's clear that it's it was a Wii game you know that all these mechanics and puzzles were made in mind for um for that motion there was one point though that I've been playing so far that I actually did go back and change to the motion controls just because I was having such a hard time with getting the um the right analog stick uh sword to go like where I wanted it to go it's that first boss battle with Girahim. I actually mm. switched over to the uh, to the, the separated Joy-Con so I could swing my sword in the direction that I wanted it to go. Um, that's the only case where I've had that happen so far. Yeah. Um, I, I do like the Joy-Con better than the Wii remotes. I, I wouldn't mind playing more in motion. <laughs> Yeah, I don't yeah, know it, if they'd ever reveal it, but I would love Nintendo's stats about with Scarlet Sword HD, what is that percentage breakdown for people mm-hmm. trying to play with Joy-Cons versus just going... Yeah, normal controller. Yeah, the the irony is that I have a pair of Skyward Sword Joy Cons being shipped to me at the moment, like right as we speak. Uh, so I now those are probably the ones that I use. But it's uh, uh, it, it yeah, that's the solid interesting. But it's like I'm glad that it I'm glad that it turned out this way because it just feels like okay, great, I can just play this on the go. I don't have to necessarily worry about like setting it up in tabletop mode or whatever. Um, and and doing it that way. But yeah, I I feel like. I don't think that solves all of the game's problems. I think some of the the stuff that people talk about long view with that game, I think are still there. But I think I also kind of differ from like the crowd there in that I, I really dig a lot of the, um, the dungeons and puzzles and stuff in this game a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I also totally get the fact that like this is the this feels in a lot of ways like the smallest uh, 3D Zelda because it just there's not a ton of exploration yeah, it's that weird thing where after now Breath of the Wild, when everybody's, you know, the one central point, other than weapons, I understand, is everybody saying, God, I wish the dungeons were a little bit bigger, a little more elaborate. And now it's like Scoured Sword is nothing but dungeons, is my memory. It's like anytime you're below the clouds, it's just one long dungeon to build up to the big dungeon, right? Yeah, it, it yeah, it, it is all like puzzle areas of like you have to, you, you have to do this to move this thing and lots of like you're basically kicking down a lot of ladders once you're done where you're like, okay, I completed this area. Now you get to do the thing where it's like, you kind of seal this area and uh, it lets you backtrack. Um, but yeah, By the way, it, quick it's, aside, kicking down a ladder is like one of those core video game things <laughs> that like, I've never done in real life. <laughs> like, no one. No situation yeah, where that's no ever, ever happened. But like every other game I play, I'm kicking a ladder to make. Did it you happen. think it was going to be as important as minecarts were when you were a kid? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to have to avoid quicksand and kick down yeah. ladders like all the time. That was going to be adulthood. 
Speaking of minecarts, I just got through the the minecart section. That is still a section that I, I think is bad, even with the regular uh, controls. Oh, no, really? I don't think that section is good at all. Um, but yeah, I like the I I so far it feels like the first two dungeons are pretty simple. Um, but like that third dungeon, I think is so good. Uh, in that you. The item ostensibly is like the the dust bellows, which is like this uh, blower thing that moves propellers. But like they combine that with like you get the 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 beetle item, which is this flying drone, right? And then in this dungeon, in the outside version of this dungeon, you get the ability like you like you upgrade its like uh, ability to grab things. And so now you're grabbing bombs and throw and like basically like bombing areas of the map with it. And it feels like such a cool combination of these two items that builds on like the progression of items, right? It feels really cool to put that stuff together in a way that like uh, you don't get out of even something like Breath of the Wild where it doesn't like that kind of thematic, like, okay, we're going to do this. And then specifically this, because we know you've done this before, like that kind of iteration, I think is something that felt a lot flatter in Breath of the Wild. Not that those like the, the shrines and stuff, uh, uh, I think were really clever. Yeah, I see what you're but, saying. But like that, that, that progression of stuff, I think is uh, both thematically, I think is really cool. And it's just not it wasn't a flavor of puzzle solving that you got in breath of the wild. So I'm really glad to get like a strong dose of it here, but that's, I think that's a reaction you can only have in the wake of breath of the wild offering you like, okay, if you want exploration, just go play breath of the wild. Whereas in 2011, it felt like spirit tracks is the most linear Zelda game. And it's kind of like it's dungeons and nothing else. Uh, this is basically in that vein. I wish there were a more like, exploratory zelda so like that frustration at the lack of variety and and, like exploring an actual world um was like definitely valid and it led to breath of the wild right so i can almost appreciate it more now than i did then yeah yeah and and it's interesting going back and reading previews and reviews and stuff like people were amazed just by small things when the game first came out about like oh, if you're on fire and then you take out a bomb, you'll explode. And they're like, that type of systemic stuff you wouldn't expect from Zelda. And it's now funny, post-Breath of the Wild, where it's like one of the most, if not the most systemically oriented games of all time, but still like these little touches that got their start here were just blossoming then with this crew when they got to create the next Zelda. There's a lot of that in Skyward Sword. As I'm playing through it again, I'm realizing how many things they took from this game that are going to seem so... I guess rudimentary, if that's the right word, to people who have played Breath of the Wild first and then are going back to this. Yeah. That seems so basic now that Breath of the Wild just have built upon. Like the climbing, there wasn't really as much climbing in Zelda games before this. The sailcloth, the stamina was such a novel thing at the time. And Breath of the Wild, I feel like, has built on that so, so much. So it's so easy to look back and think, oh, well, like, this is so basic. But at the time, that's kind of where it all started. Yeah. yeah, and and there's even stuff like um, the systemic stuff. Things like, oh, if you have if you're wearing a metal shield, you're more affected by lightning attacks. If you have a if you have a wooden shield, it'll get burned off by fire attacks. And even things like upgrade, uh, you know, mm-hmm. having different equipable weapons and shields, and finding like these little upgrade things, which right. I, I don't I, I don't super care for here. Like having to do, do like the. Because the Highland Shield is in the game. You know you're going to get it eventually. So I'm not investing too much in like, I need to upgrade this shield because like eventually I'll just get the the perfect one. Yeah. Um, and like finding all the different um, like collectibles and insects and stuff that like the, 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 the way it was more of an ecosystem in this game, it was definitely a lot simpler uh, mm-hmm. than it is in Breath of the Wild. And it kind of feels like, I don't know that you necessarily need this, but I kind of see where you were going with it now. 
Yeah. Um, I, okay, Rebecca, walk me through this. You're playing Skyward Sword HD. Outside of the motion controls and overall controls, like, what stands out about the design? What, what's hitting you in a big way? So I haven't played Skyward Sword since it originally came out. So yeah. it has been 10 years since I played it. And I thought I remembered a lot of the game, but as I'm going back and playing it, I'm realizing, oh my gosh, oh yeah, I totally forgot about this. It is um, surprising to me how inspired this this game really was at the time. Um, the desert area doesn't feel like any other desert area in any other Zelda game. That's so true for the, the volcano region and, you know, the the woods region and the items, you know, there's items in this game that aren't in any other Zelda game. You were talking about the whip, the beetle, the, um, the gust bellows. These don't exist in any other Zelda games. The whole time I'm at the part of the game now with the time shift mechanic, and I won't spoil too much for the first time players. Um, but there is, it was, it's so cool. It is so cool. And I feel like they just haven't done anything like that in any other Zelda game. It feels really inspired that they didn't do just another desert. You know what I mean? Right, right. Because it's like, God, I'm trying to remember. It's like, isn't there something about transforming the desert to make it a little more livable? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a place with with past and present. I don't want to get too, too much into it, but it it does change things. There's like a present yeah. past thing that like it you know kind of kind of affects puzzle solving and also does a lot of lore building at the same time and like the and Kyle you mentioned that like you do go back through mul- uh, areas multiple times but I think that I, it doesn't feel like the 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 Faron Woods section where you're retreading I think does feel a little bit samey but like I'm at the part where you're doing that for the desert and like the mechanic they introduce there feels totally different from what they do the first time around. Um, and so I, I think that stuff is really cool. Like I, I remember even in 2011 thinking like everyone is too distracted by the motion control stuff to think about how different these dungeons are, how cool that stuff is of like you're in an open area, but you're a, you're effectively in like phase one of the dungeon and then you get inside and then like yeah. here is the the actual dungeon uh, that you, it builds and iterates on concepts from the outside inside. Yeah. You're so spot on with that, honestly, because I feel like so many people were caught up like that's the only discussion we ever heard about Skyward Sword is oh, the motion controls, the motion controls. And it didn't really allow people to talk about what is good about this game. And there's a lot of a lot of good about this game. But it was also yeah. bundled with fee sucks because yeah. <laughs> she's constantly explaining yeah. what a rupee is after you've been playing the game for 50 hours, which is unacceptable. But the good news is they got rid of all that annoying crap, right, for the HD version. Yeah, much I mean, better. Like, I, I do want to remind you, though, uh, Hanson, that like you just got a red rupee and it's worth 20 rupees. Oh, so interesting. I, I think you should put it away and not spend okay. it all in one place. Okay, cool. So, I'll make a note yeah. and put it on my monitor. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, don't no, worry about it. I'll remind you about it later. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, I think that stuff is mostly gone. I think uh, there's a couple of sections where Fee will pop out and tell you stuff. Like, there's one really like dumb section where you're climbing up the, uh, the great tree and you're hearing this snoring sound uh and you're sending the tree you're just hearing it constantly and then by the time you get to the end of it like you're like you're basically around the corner from the cutscene. scene will pop out and say hey do you hear something which is like yes i've been hearing it this entire time i've been hearing it for the last 10 minutes what are you talking about and she'll do stuff like that where it's just like you know there's like a hint system where you can uh usually get hints and all of them have been useless and like i've occasionally referred to it and it's like yeah you're in the lottery desert Time's kind of weird here, huh? Later, and then, like, it, it just feels so superfluous and unnecessary. Uh, it just, uh, and, and I, 
I, I go uh, into this in my in my impressions piece, but like it does that is the other remnant of this game being designed specifically for the Wii, uh, because it is you know the Wii opened up uh, gaming to a bunch of new. That's people. That's interesting. Yeah, and this is this is the game for them effectively. Like of like okay, we're, this is a Zelda game. This is really cool. Like we're we're gonna have to try to explain a lot to you. So it does feel like that is where that comes from. Um, but now you know everything is a lot. Uh, quicker here yeah because you can what like speed through dialogue you can skip scu- yep. uh, cut scenes yeah that fee stuff is largely optional i mean that just very seems simple like, fundamental stuff you would have expected oh, to have been absolutely i'm not trying to yeah forgive the original design because it's just so frustrating that the game can be so many have so many brilliant design ideas in it and then just those big things it just whiffs so hard on but this is uh, sacrilegious but i remember when the when the game came out when i say first game but when the original game came out um I really enjoyed my time with it. And like, I know this is insane, but this is the first 3D Zelda game that I finish. Like I've started all of them. I made it to the Water Temple twice in Ocarina before being like, ah, I'm not smart enough for this. And it's probably not fair. I should probably power through it. But like, it was so weird to have that perspective when I first played this game of being really blown away by this game and having such a great time. And maybe it's just when you're a series as legendary as Zelda, no pun intended, that everybody can only see the flaws. Like, it was so infuriating to just be wowed by this game, and yet every fan that I was listening to was like, yeah, but this sucks, this sucks, this sucks, and you were kind of losing that big picture of like, yes, but still, as a whole, it is like an insane achievement that they pulled this off. And so, I mean, Rebecca, do you think the HD version is going to redeem this game's story? I hope so. I hope that now that there's more ways to play and that uh, that, that fee is not as annoying and those things that seem to be taken care of. And there are some other things that I think are, are not so great about the game that they didn't take care of. Um, I hope that people can look past all of that now and, and enjoy it because I do think it has the best story of any Zelda game. Yeah. I do think that it has some of the best dungeons of any Zelda game. And I think those are the things that people should be talking about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, kind of, that, I wanted to. I'm glad you mentioned that, Rebecca, because like before we ended, I wanted to make sure I mentioned that like it probably is still my favorite Zelda story. I'm not as fresh on it as you guys, but like the story is really interesting, especially for like table setting for the larger Zelda franchise. And I also think that 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 iteration of Zelda, like the version of her in the game, I think is my favorite Zelda, just in terms of like the way she looks and her agency that she has in the game, and like. I, I, she's, she's my favorite Zelda and it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to go back to it to sort of reexamine that story after having played Breath of the Wild, which has lots of Easter eggs for Skyward Sword. You know what I mean? They're almost like at the beginning and the end of the sort of the timeline, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so, yeah, another big complaint about the game is that the opening section takes a long time, which reading a lot of ass, this might be a slight hint of why, but apparently Anuma himself, who's the producer for this game, uh, was the actual planner for the entire Skyloft area. So they talk about that Iwata mm. ass, like, hey, you finally got to do that school storyline you wanted to do so much. It's like, okay. It makes a little more sense where it's like, okay, this is like the boss's pet project. I understand why maybe that was a little bit more ballooned, but like, yeah, Rebecca and Surreal, is it a slog to go through? It's it, like the, I clocked it. Uh, it still takes about 90 minutes to get to Farron Woods if you're kind of All approaching right. it. That's not uh, so bad. I still yeah I still thought that it was a little bit slow in the beginning I I prefer games where I can just jump into it and I'm not saying it has to all be open world or open you know be able to do everything right away but I don't like long intros I like to be able to get into the action as soon as possible so I think it's better make Twilight Princess gotta hate Bruce (laughs) Uh, no good 
because I think I like I, I totally agree that like I would have maybe liked something that you know kind of throws you into the open a little bit more quickly. But I think I enjoy the story that's going on more than I did in Twilight Princess, where it just felt like you just kind of like we get it. Link is a Link is a farmer and he has to do cattle, uh, which you don't have to do anything <laughs> remotely close to that. Yeah. Uh, in this one. Uh, so it just feels like you're just kind of you're just watching cutscenes for a while, uh, which, you know, I guess you, you can skip those now. Right. If you really just want to get into it more quickly. Um, but you're like I, I didn't hate the story. Right. Like I, I thought this was entertaining. But yeah, like you're basically running from cutscene to cutscene for the first hour and a half or so. But it yeah. feels a little better because you like it's just it being optional, I think, even just does a lot. Uh, so that's how it works, I think. Yeah. All right. Other big conclusions after playing some of HD that we haven't hit on yet? Uh, the Silent Realm stuff, I think, is maybe a little bit improved just because you don't have to wander around and, and read item descriptions while you're being chased by, giant, by like, <laughs> giant knights. Uh, I still think they're really frustrating in that, like, if they find you, you have to start the entire thing over again. Oh, that's and right. Okay. I'm very curious. I should actually do the research and actually see if they change some of the numbers there because, uh, so, like... If you don't know what they are, the Silent Realm sections are these sections where um, you go into like a spirit version of an area uh, you've already been to. And there are these little tiers everywhere, like in uh, Twilight Princess. And you have those and then you have these little other tiers that kind of highlight the other tiers on the map for you. But it's a stealth section in that there are these like uh, knights roaming around. And if they spot you and attack you, you have to start the entire thing over. It's so scary. (laughs) It really is maybe like the most tense part of like uh, any Zelda game because because of that, of how high the stakes are. but I'd be, I'd be curious to see because they tell you like, oh, if you get one of the tiers, like the main tiers, uh, you kind of fend them off. Like the the knights won't do anything for 90 seconds or whatever. Uh, and you, you like they, they tell you like you can fend them off. You're just constantly collecting things. And I'm wondering if they didn't increase the timers for that stuff because they felt a lot easier than they did in the original but maybe hmm. that was because i was reading item descriptions while i was trying to figure out where these things are and that made right. it frustrating yeah uh, and I, I haven't gotten to the underwater no collection sections yet which i think were maybe my least favorite part of that game i remember that being hmm. a little bit annoying yeah and like you know the whole fighting that same boss multiple times which apparently was another anuma suggestion according to sawada ass is uh Fujibayashi said that Anuma had one big request for the game, which was, quote, a giant enemy attacks one... motorcycle. That's right. (laughs) A giant enemy attacks one place and you have to do something about it. (laughs) Like, I love that just... Through translation, you never know what the hell's going on, but I love that, like, he was just really passionate about this idea about an enemy (laughs) attacking one spot and you had to go defend it. It's so interesting how sometimes uh, the whim of, like, someone in charge just affects, like an entire section of people just like I think that'd be pretty cool and everyone's just like well like that's gonna be the next two or three months of my life yeah I guess we gotta do it but is that section about the same as we remember I've just only, kind of a little I've annoying I've done it the uh, I think I've only done it the one time so far but that boss I, re- I remember the last uh, thing before you do the final final boss I remember that part being super frustrating but the first time because I already knew how, what to do it felt like okay yeah let's just get this out of the way but i totally see that section i remember those sections being like yeah let's just get through i remember there like that the silent realms and the music collection making like collectively making me feel like there were several sections of that game where i was just like yeah let's just get this over with i want to get back to the good stuff yeah 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 kyle you're gonna play through this whole thing 40 plus hours of it 
Yeah, I think so. I think I'll even uh, help the the monster guy below Skyloft. Oh, that's true. Gratitude crystals. Very generous of you. Yeah, I I did all those, man. I I hundred percented that game. I love that game. Boss rush. What um? Where do you think it ranked? Hey, you want that Hylian shield? Yeah, I'm gonna have to do that. Where do you think it ranked, Kyle? Uh, in Mm. your big Zelda ranking. Oh boy, putting me on the spot. Uh Um, lower on the sort of 3D. Tier. Yeah, let's go you know 3D. I mean, if you want to, um, I you know honestly, this is going to be super controversial. I won't give you like a full list, but I think I would put it above Wind Waker actually, Ooh, which is insane. I know I'm, I'm leaning because that way too. Really, my my, my <laughs> Wind Waker thing. I love the way Wind Waker looks and sounds. I like, but the thing is, is like I don't love the ocean, and there aren't enough dungeons in the game. There's only like three or four. You know? Yeah, I I, I think you and so, Kyle, you and I, Kyle, I think we're like big dungeon guys right like and when it's so <laughs> dungeon, dungeon bros yeah we're dungeon, dungeon bros. Bros. Uh, so i think when when that part of the game is is weak i think it affects our ranking of a zelda game higher than maybe because there are there is cool stuff in in wind waker to explore and stuff yeah. but more so than in even skyward sword obviously but like i think those dungeons to me are pretty crucial uh when it comes to zelda design but yeah you're right in that like i think Sky, uh, uh wind waker still looks better than this uh, I like, you know, uh, I, I like younger Link a lot more than, than older Link, but in terms of actually playing through it, I think I'm, I might be enjoying it more than Waker. Oh, wow. Rebecca, do you have a ranking of 3D Zeldas? Man, it's so hard to me because, and I feel like this is so cliche to say at this point, but every Zelda game is still better. Even the worst Zelda game is still better to me than most other games. Yeah. Um, so even though I might rank it above another game, that doesn't mean I dislike the other games. Okay. Uh, I might put this above Twilight Princess, but still kind of on the lower end. I think I still enjoy um, Wind Waker more and, and the others more. Um the only thing I love Twilight Princess is just that whole first half of the game. It takes a long time to like just get going with it. Speaking of long intros. Like Although yeah. mid, Midna over Fee though, right? Midna over Fee. Yeah, Midna over Fee for sure. It's, it's really not fair because like the game is not about Fee in, in the way Twilight Princess yeah. is about yeah, Midna. Yeah. But I it, this is me, this does make me very curious to revisit Twilight Princess because I have not played that game since release and it's been even longer than uh than skyward sword so i almost i feel like before i rank it uh relative to that i should go back and play it because i remember that game being super long i remember the the intro being really long i remember the wolf stuff not being very good and i remember the the one where you get the claw shot dungeons being one of my favorite Mm -hmm. dungeons. Mm -hmm. there's some really good dungeons in twilight princess i think twilight princess and skyward sword do have some of my favorite dungeons yeah Yeah. Um, well there we go the big HD version's out on Friday. Let us all know what you think of it. I'm so curious to just try and get a feel, I guess from Twitter, I don't know, mm-hmm. Patreon comments, just to try and get a feel for what people think. I don't know, Twitter fee. polls, I guess, we'll, we'll set some up. Yeah, just a fee, Surreal, for uh, how people are feeling the trajectory <laughs> of Skyward Sword. This is the big redemption story that it might be. Um, but hey, Kyle, do you know um, how this whole thing operates, how this whole podcast exists? Uh, is it a is it a, a a sword with a personality that talks to you? That's exactly it. That can be found at patreon.com slash minmax with two ends. Go there to unlock a bunch of benefits. Uh, and thank you to our biggest supporters. Like, look at this. Look at this natural transition. Hello, Hyrule. 
Hello Hyrule is the premier Legend of Zelda travelogue podcast. In each hour-long episode, we take a deep dive into a new location in the series, starting with Skyward Sword, and ask the hard-hitting questions like... Uh, Rebecca, you're welcome to answer these as we see fit. Uh, is Link's Ocarina made out of time shift stones? Okay, okay, she's thinking. Or, where do Loftwings go when we're not riding them? And is it morally okay to only allow one student to graduate a year? Whether you're about to revisit <laughs> Skyward Sword. Hard hitting questions. I know. Whether you're about to revisit Skyward Sword with the upcoming remaster or you're visiting Skylab for the first time, this play along podcast is the perfect travel companion for you. So grab your sword and your sunscreen because tours are open today here on Hello Hyrule, available wherever you find your podcasts. Hello Hyrule is not responsible for any food poisoning experience while listening. Also, thanks to I Am 8-Bit for their huge support of Inmax overall. They want everybody to know that you can get the Sea of Thieves triple album on the I Am 8-Bit wonderful online store. It is a tropical island colored vinyl with pop-up paper craft and center labels that are just beautiful. Music by Robin Beanland. If you want to celebrate Sea of Thieves in style, check out I Am 8-Bit's online store. There's a bunch of great stuff in there, and you can get it all for 10% off if it's under $100 by using the promo code BOTTLEROCKET. Bottle Rocket, all one word for 10% off everything at IM8Bit Store. They support us in a big way, so please help support them. And they support us in a couple ways. One of them being, they ship out a wonderful prize from their online store every single week to a Minmax community member, somebody that submits a great question over on Patreon. So we're going to choose our number one favorite question, Rebecca. Remember, as we go through these questions, remember the best. And then that person wins a Rocket League vinyl. Rocket League Ooh. Cross Monster Cat Greatest Hits Vinyl album but is before it too late for me to ask a question <laughs> oh you can go on patreon yeah just deposit one real quick we'll get it in there um all right before we get to all this good stuff uh we should uh kick these suckers to the curb kyle and surreal thank you for being here would you want to clap out at the exact same time all right ready we'll figure, three two one janet garcia is here welcome janet Yay! <laughs> and Leo Vader is here. I'm tagging along too. Welcome! Yeah, you guys came as a duo. I mean, you know, on opposite ends of the country, but both here at the same time! Magic. Because we need your help. Because we have some great Exciting questions era. from the community. And I need you to help remember the best one. And then argue with Rebecca about what that best one is. <laughs> okay, great. great. Here we go. Oh, also, by the way, uh, Rebecca Stone, everybody. Leo Vader, uh, Janet, uh, Rebecca... Uh, and they're Hello. waving for the audio Hi. listeners. All right. Hey, look at this. Victor Pham writes in and he says, what remasters have significantly changed the public perception? I'm sorry, the public reception of a game. The original Nier was widely panned on its original release with a 68 on Metacritic, but the recent remaster has a much better score of 83 and is generally looked upon much more fondly by the public. Remasters changing perceptions. The big, the big question of the episode. What do y'all think of as like a go-to example? RE2, but it went from being like a really great game to an even greater game. Yeah. I don't know if that counts, but that's that's a good one. Cause you're totally right. Like when the game came out, was it 98, 97? Whenever it was, I don't know if it was like really up there for game of the year contender. But then when the remake came out, I mean it was our game of the year, and I think other outlets were certainly putting in that realm. So that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, for the tippy top. I think of um not to steal yours, Rebecca, but like, I think Wind Waker, the HD version came out at like the perfect time, streamlined enough stuff, and finally the internet was, had matured, which you rarely say, to the point of realizing that yes, childish art does not have to mean that it's a bad game, <laughs> or just more ageless and timeless art does not make it 
a game for kindergartners, which apparently everyone was screaming back in 2003. Not just that, but the Swift sale, I think, was a was a big game changer for that remaster. Yeah, I did think of that. I was also going to say um, a lot of 2D Metroid remakes or remasters, I think, uh, kind of helped those games. Thinking of Samus Returns. Well, yeah. Um, even Zero Mission being a, a remake of Metroid 1, I, I feel like made it so much more accessible to like, like anybody who's trying to get into Metroid. Yeah. No, that's a good one for sure. Yeah. I don't know. This isn't really, well, it's not a remaster, but this question just made me think of like ports in general. And one of the most fascinating little sagas in the game industry over the last couple of years to me has been like Hollow Knight's journey and how that game came out. And there were a handful of people being like, that's pretty good. And then when it was brought onto Switch, suddenly it was like, well, now it's a Hall of Famer. Like there was this weird public trend that shifted when that thing made its way over, but not really a remaster, Leo. So I don't think that's fair. No, shame on you. Yeah. Can you think of one? Batman Armored Edition. Oh, man. Hell yeah. Suddenly Arkham City was good. (laughs) Uh, VRG writes in and says, Hey, Min Max and Rebecca Stone. As a twin, I am naturally curious about the name of Twinfinite. Is the organization specifically tailored to the sophisticated gaming interests of my people? (laughs) Great question. Great question. I have no idea why Twinfinite is called Twinfinite. That is not a question for me. Can't answer it. What is, give us a lowdown on Twinfinite. What's going on over there? Um, uh, all, I mean, gaming news, features, reviews, everything uh, that you want in gaming. Um, we do some entertainment stuff too. I'm a staff writer over there. Um, I do a lot of Nintendo stuff over there. Um, yeah, fun stuff. Yeah. All right. Do they have podcasts or is the Nintendo Shack podcast no, separate from Yeah, Twinfinite? we're just, just writing. Okay. No video or podcast or anything. Has there been discussion about that? Do you want to kind of grow in that direction? I don't know. I mean, it would be kind of fun. I mean, I, I do a podcast that's separate from Twinfinite, so I enjoy it. Right, <laughs> I right. I would be up for that. Yeah, all right. Uh, Glass writes in and says, Persona 5 Strikers does not have an autosave option. So when I ran the latest update on my Switch, I lost three to four hours of progress. After my initial emotional breakdown, I booted my last save and was pleasantly surprised how much I learned in the game from my last save until now. Now I'm kind of happy it happened. Have you ever lost progress in a game that you were totally okay with? I remember it well. Yes, walk us through it. Uh, it's not exactly the same thing, but Red Dead Online, in my hayest of heydays with it, I had a 101-day daily streak going, and they put out a new update that I was so excited about, and I was streaming it at Game Informer. Yeah. And I showed off my 101-day streak, and then I went to change my appearance, which was a new feature they just added, and somebody in the chat was like, oh, by the way, if you change your appearance, it resets your daily streak. Oh, no. <laughs> so I was just in the menu when I found that out. And sure enough, popped back out and I lost 101 days, which in that game, like, the longer your streak is going, the more of the paid money currency you're making. So it was like a big loss. Oh, but my in a God. way, the positive is it freed me from having to check in every single day. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd still be playing <laughs> sure. it every single day. Yeah. Uh, did you play the new update, by the way, yet? Yes, it's all right. It's right. I'm more <laughs> cynical about it than past updates. It just feels like... I, I'm waiting for them to make that big reinvestment in it, and it, their updates keep being like little content from a clearly tiny team. That right. every time they update anything, it breaks a hundred other things. And this it's is it's crimes is the big headline. Crimes. For, <laughs> that that's what they've added for this update. That's the big key point. Yep, and you earn a new currency very slowly that you can 
pay for access to a new heist type mission, but it's much simpler than you might be expecting. And you can also pay the paid money currency to get that new currency faster. So Okay. All right. Hey, look at that. Red Dead Online. Still going strong. I don't care what anybody says. Um, I'm sorry, but uh, Lost Progress. Uh, Does anybody else have a story of not minding when that happens? Um, Yes. I um, was playing Life is Strange 2, which for anyone who doesn't know is episodic. So there's five episodes or chapters. um, They came out, I think, you know, a couple months after each one. And after episode four came out and I played them as they came out, um, I (laughs) lost my entire save file. The PS4 became corrupted, had to replace things, whatnot. Um, And so that was right before episode five. And I didn't want to go through and replay all the four episodes just to replay episode five. Um, Luckily, they did something in Life is Strange 2 that they didn't do in the first game where they made it that you can start from any episode. It will just randomize your decisions that you make. Oh, weird. Choices matter type game. Yeah. Um, So I actually didn't mind it too much because I had when I when I played it, I made decisions that ended up being not so great in the long term. Um, So it actually randomized it for me. And I went into episode five making better decisions as it randomly drew for me. That's a good lesson Um, because I was able I didn't have have to go back and replay episodes one through four again i could just jump into five i didn't have my decisions but i didn't care anyway <laughs> well that's nice because now moving forward you realize that morally you're better in life if you just leave all choices up to like a random <laughs> leave number it up generator to chance. <laughs> yeah whatever just flip a coin and you're doing all right exactly uh forest with two r's over here says hello minimum maxers hello what game do you think you could speed run or which you'd be interested in learning are there any games you think would get pretty far in blindfolded like in last week's amazing mario 64 run at summer games done quick oh i didn't watch that but that sounds fantastic uh yeah the speed running games anybody tempted does anybody have one on the tip of their tongue me <laughs> yeah what do you got i do somewhat speed run a link to the past it's the only game that i really do that for i can beat it in two hours <laughs> that's pretty good wow. do you get to like nice. shatter the game by doing that or is it just conventional but really knowing what you're doing um, there's minor glitches and stuff that, yeah, that you do to kind of optimize it and do things quicker and kind of skip the worst half of the Ice Palace dungeon that nobody wants to do. So you, you do a bomb jump and you skip half of it. That's <laughs> nice. Okay, so the bomb jump's like the craziest move? Eh, yeah, that I can do. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. I take it you're into like that randomizer then with the items? Oh, where yeah, it puts I've it all done over. the randomizer. I haven't, I haven't done it in some time. Um, it's, there, there's a lot when you learn speed runs and randomizers and, th- and things like that. You think you know the game, but once you kind of dive deeper into that and you really kind of learn like, oh my God, I didn't know those mechanics that that was even possible. Um, so it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, you have to no, like fun. love to hate the game to play it that many times though. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is it just like a Twitch thing for you mainly? Like if you weren't streaming it, do you think you'd still be doing speed runs of Link to the Past that much? Eh, eh, probably not. <laughs> okay. But still, it's fun to dive in for sure. Yeah. Uh, Mitch writes in, he says, Hey, uh, Ben, years ago on the Game Informer Show podcast, you correctly guessed that Death Stranding would release before Final Fantasy VII Remake. Please, please, Mitch, I'm no hero. Uh, now I must ask you to repeat that feat. What do you believe comes first, Kojima's next game or Remake Part 2? Kojima's next game. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Does anybody think otherwise? I feel like Remake Part 2. Like, you I'm going to be an optimist. Why not? Why not? The world's crazy. You never know what's going to go down. Why not this? They have their weird integrate, inner, spurst, inner, whatever. Like, they uh-huh. got some stuff cooking. Like, 
Yeah, sure, but they just released that interspersed, uh, and so it's probably going to be a while. And the big debate is like how they're going to handle it. If this is going to be the open world entry, I'm in the camp that they're probably saving the open world Final Fantasy VII for Part Three. Is what I think. So maybe that would speed up this one a little bit, but still, I think it's going to be a while. And there are like those weird rumors about Kojima making a deal with Microsoft um, and maybe something involving streaming for his next game as well. So maybe that'll be more like on the smaller experimental end of the spectrum. If there was just like a little more info about it, like official info too, because a lot of it is like I heard from a place from a person, then I would probably definitely say the Kojima thing. Um, So the second Kojima says anything concrete, I have probably lost this bet. But even though we're betting nothing, I don't even think we're going to remember that we had this conversation. But if we do... Maybe maybe it might work out. I don't know. Janet, I promise I will never forget this conversation. This is a As Hall of shouldn't. Famer in my mind. It'll live on the internet forever. Uh, Catherine Gilbert writes in and says, I'm a kind of player who loves playing alone and do not mind being mediocre at things. Yet it feels new games absolutely want to be online, multiplayer, and or score-based. Why? Am I wrong for wanting to play alone? Or is it just the way the young people play and I'm an old school player now? Good question, Catherine. It's not wrong that you only want to play single player games. I think that's completely fair. And, you know, there was a time when the only multiplayer that you could play was local couch co-op. And I feel like a lot of people did grow up playing only single player games. Um, And that's just the kind of thing that you like. I feel like that's almost a genre when it's, you know, within itself, single player. It's just what you prefer. There's nothing wrong with that. And especially when like, I know it's not the larger or the largest industry trend, but it seems like with the release of something like Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order or, you know, Sony during the PS4 generation, it seems like there's still business people somewhere in the game industry that are saying, eh, single-player story-based games are actually a good way to make a lot of money if you do it super, super well. So it's not like you're, you know, on a melting iceberg out there, Catherine. I think you're fine. I support you and your gaming decisions. Oh. I don't care what Leo says. <laughs> so Travis Brinkley writes in and says, Hey, Min Max, this question floored me. Uh, when was the last time you finished a Ubisoft game? I like Great question. question. It's yeah. really a humdinger. I feel very called out by this question. All right. Okay. Okay. Leo, that's pretty good. I think I think you're a champion here for Odyssey. That wasn't and that's, that long again, ago. Again, that's just the story. None of the DLC. Not a ton of the side stuff. Right. Right. And obviously, you play a lot of Rainbow Six. That doesn't really count here. You can't finish it. I'm waiting it. for credits to roll. Yeah, I know it's frustrating. Playing a long time now. (laughs) No, no, I think of it. Odyssey, I think rolled credits, and then there was still main story stuff you could do. So I don't know how you say whether you finished that game or not. But I I remember seeing credits, and then Joe Juba was like, "No, you're nowhere near close to being done." And I said, "Yes, I am." (laughs) (laughs) Prove me wrong. I think, I think it might be Rayman Legends for me, which is what 2013. It's a while ago. Does anybody have another one? I don't know if I've ever finished one. I've played lots of lots it's of them. It's really crazy. The end screen on one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Janet, I mean, are we counting? Are, are we counting Mario Rabbits? Yeah, since it's yeah, like that then, then that that, All right. that would be probably the last one. I it, I feel like I need to defend my experience with Watch Dogs Legion because mm. I did put in a lot of time. I just didn't finish it because it just was one of those things where you know, other projects came up. Like I was playing that game as someone that was leading the guides project on that game, which meant that I 
mostly like delegate work and I do like a little bit of work, but you're mostly just like assigning things. So I really was only playing the game to better understand how to edit and assign and like, like look at the scope of the project more so than trying to finish it. Um, Usually I do still try to finish it since you back when I did guides, most of the games I played were guide games. So it's like, okay, if I don't beat those games, then those are all the games I'm playing that year. So it's like, we, we might as well. And I did enjoy the game. Yeah, and then but now it's like one of those things where it's like, am I really gonna go back? Because it's not like it was hot fire anyway. Yeah, but I'm yeah. I'm so salty that I didn't finish it because I was pretty far in. But I don't know. I'm sure I could finish Watch Dogs Legion in 45 minutes, but I just haven't had the the impulse to go do it. Yeah, are you gonna check out that DLC, Leo? The Bloodlines DLC. I know we had it in yeah. the Show Plus poll and didn't win, but I fully intend to. And it's very interesting that you can play the whole game again as those characters, like custom dialogue for the entire campaign. Oh, I'm very curious to check that out. Weird. Yeah. So with Aiden Pierce and Wrench from Watch Dogs 2. That's right. There Old we go. mode mm. for both of them. Set in the future. Cool. Hey, uh, Swanky Orc submitted a question over on Patreon saying, hey, cohorts, I was thinking of all the consoles and their variants. So I wanted to see what your top three favorite consoles are by design only. Design, it's really tough, but design only. Uh, Swanky Orc says their top three are Series X, PS3 Slim, and the Dreamcast. This is tough because it's so bundled with nostalgia. Nostalgia. The GameCube is definitely in there. Yeah. I don't know if it's number one. I think, but no, it's Janet, great. you're right. It's a little cube and it comes in all different colors. You got that little handle. It still is to me like the pinnacle of design, which is silly because it is just a little cube, but it's cute and it's like, Inter- it was so distinct and like I think the way that you like load in everything and even the, the way the attachments stack in um, it's basically just a shorter Xbox Series X because the Series X response like kind of floored me I'm like really it's just like a black tower but I'm like well the cube is just half or a third of that size but it's just it's a different. cute it's small, little it's tower cute. I don't know I think like the colors there. are a huge thing and like that GameCube purple I think that puts it number one for me and like the handle silly rarely ever used, but it's, it's nice. Like it changes the tone of what's going on. It's like, I think Steve Jobs was big with like the Macintosh that like he wanted the front. Leo, you're an Apple guy. Correct me if I'm wrong. He wanted the front to kind of look like a smiley face. Wasn't there something like that? And I feel like the handle in the GameCube. That sounds true. Okay. The handle of the GameCube is like that similar idea of just like it conveys friendliness, even if it's the most impractical thing. So I will say the PSP go, I think was the ideal factor for a handheld for me. It just became so small. And then you slid it up, you know, like a T-Mobile sidekick or whatever. Yeah. For the (laughs) controls. I wish there was like a Vita level handheld with that form factor. And also the Wii U has really grown on me in hindsight. Wow. I really appreciated being able to like bring it to the bathroom, like watching Netflix and then switching it to the handheld and going into another room. But the room. question was the design. Like when I hear design, I think of like the look Just of it visuals. more than like the form fact. Like now you're getting yeah. into like the hmm. the how the console functions. This is purely a superficial like someone who wasn't a gamer could answer this question just by looking at the models. right if it was in an art um, museum i don't like the gloss of the wii u i don't like any kind yeah, of yeah it's like yeah. a weird it's like a weird shape too and like some, something <laughs> wasn't right something wasn't right nintendo <laughs> thought know? so too it was yeah. small and i think they knew that too you know being as it kind of just died as the the um snes junior i really like um oh the it classic has, thing like, yeah well yeah because it has like a it's like sort of smooth and it has like I don't know. It's sort of parsed down. And it's funny because for the longest time in my mind, um, 
that was what the SNES looked like because oh, that's the one I had. Yeah. So then when I saw the regular one, I was like, what is this hideous thing? <laughs> it looks so weird coming comparison. Yeah. Okay. So not the classic. This is just the redesign of the old Super Nintendo. Yeah. The SNES Junior. So yes. it, it looks sort of like almost slightly curved. Um, yeah. But yeah, it came out like really late in the life cycle. Like I think the N64 was already out. So it was like, who is this for? It was it was for me and my family only. Yep. Yep. God, I love the PlayStation 1, obviously. I don't think it's great looking. But you did remind me with that SNES Junior thing, like the PS1, that, like that redesign of the PlayStation 1 where it was white and they were trying to sell it with like the little screen that popped up and it was just kind of like a smoothed version of the PS1. That might be up there. So I think my list is GameCube number one. I'm putting Dreamcast number two. I understand the controller's a little funky, but I think it's got a good look to it. And then I'll go PS1. So the redesign of the PlayStation 1 for my number three. For If we're going purely on looks, my final answer for number one is the Nintendo Wii. Really? Just on an on a entertainment system, you know, next to your DVD player or whatever. It's small. It doesn't take up much space. It's distinct what it is. It, like, looks cool without looking weird. And again, it's <laughs> small. I can't stress enough how it's not the size of a Buick. <laughs> All right. There it is. It's fair. And just to be clear, you're loving your PlayStation 5, Leo? Oh my god, love it. Great first <laughs> napping on. <laughs> Chris Cuevas writes in with an interesting question. I didn't see this one coming. Uh, he says, hey, Min Maxers, it's maybe too hard-hitting for the podcast, but here goes. Everybody brace for impact. Um, Japan being host to the Olympics has raised a lot of awareness to certain topics, one of them being issues with xenophobia. As someone who is a bit of an anime weeb and a lifelong fan of Japanese culture and history, I've always wanted to visit Japan. However, I find it Pretty messed up that there are literally places over there that say no gaijin allowed. Uh, I know some of you have been to Japan, so what are your opinions here? Did you ever run into scenarios that made you feel unwelcome, or do you think these issues are overblown? What are your experiences in Japan like, and would you recommend a visit without hesitancy? Yes, a thousand times without any hesitation. Please go to Japan. But Leo, did you experience any any of that? Of them just like, ah, these gaijin, I don't know. No, in South Korea, no taxi driver wanted to pick us up yeah that was the only time i experienced that abroad really but yeah in japan at least in the touristy spots like people were very happy to see you and i was very nervous about doing the uh are you gonna take right you know just say <laughs> but it then whenever you hit them with it they're like oh thank you but occasionally they would go oh you speak japanese and i would say sorry <laughs> and then you'd sprint Whoops. away as fast as you could yeah um yeah i i it's I, I've never really experienced it in a big way. There might be some situations like, yeah, a taxi wouldn't pick me up when I was over there or something like that. But then it's immediately overwhelmed by just the shocking amount of support. And just like, if you're looking confused, somebody would always stop to try and help. I remember one time we got a taxi ride, dropped us off at the spot. And we were a little bit confused about like, is this the right spot? It doesn't look like the right restaurant. And it was like way out in the middle of nowhere. And the taxi driver actually got out of the taxi and literally sprinted around the block just to like scout things out for us to make sure that we were in the right spot. It's like, okay, this oh, wow. level is just absurd. So absolutely not, Chris Cuevas. Please go to Japan, everybody. It's it's wonderful. Uh, Sly Cut writes in and says, hey, everybody, my friend and I were playing, or my friend and I played a ton of Road Rash 64 back in the day. 
I recently decided to see if there's something similar to that on a more modern system. I found Road Redemption, released in 2014, as it screams spiritual successor. I scooped up the PS4 version, and my friend and I played it on PlayStation 5 all night. Throughout the night, we noticed on one of the tips that appear on the screen after you die, it says, having fun? Let developer Ian Fish know. And then it listed his phone number. And at the end of our session, my friend and I decided to call the number. If anything, I expected a pre-recorded message. The game is seven years old, but someone answered, and it was indeed developer Ian Fish. He was excited to hear from us and immediately asked what platform we were playing on, gave us tips on which bike and rider to use, and which weapons abilities to focus on. We talked for a few minutes before telling him to have a good night. I was blown away by this. It's such a cool interaction. Have you ever heard of a developer doing anything like this before? Uh, I remember being amazed that in the commentary tracks for Portal... Um, Gabe Newell just gives out his email address and I'm sure nobody would <laughs> I, I'm sure that you know if you sent him an email it'd probably take him a while to get back and I'm sure he's now so backed up that I'm sure he hasn't responded in a while um, but I love this idea and somebody else Adam Moran also commented on this post saying that uh, he did the exact same thing called and it really enjoyed the game and then just talked to this developer which is a bold move. And what happens when that developer changes phone numbers, I wonder? Do you think they'd patch it out? I hope, I hope so. so. Okay, yeah, I certainly hope <laughs> so. Anyways, Owen Shannon writes in and says, Hello, people. Have any of you ever had a desire to be a part of game development? If so, what part of the team would you want to be a part of, even if you weren't technically qualified? I'd love to write. Yes, and I don't know. <laughs> I, there's something that would probably become nightmarish, but sounds fun. Just the idea of like, here's what we need to have accomplished in this scene and like now write it so it's entertaining. So, I feel like the, those kind of little challenges, like little writing assignments feels like that could be really rewarding. That'd be fun. So basically like doing punch up script writing for like these enemy barks. There's only so many times enemies can scream, I think they're over there. And like if they brought you in to try and like spice those up a little bit. Yeah, or just like we I need more conversations for you to overhear. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm going to come in with this zinger. I think that's the you last of some, them. <laughs> you did do some writing uh, though, right, Leo? Like you've done like work in that space. Yeah, my hit game Frog Wednesday 2. I wrote all that game. So you have to, I mean, you have kind of already like done that a bit. Like what was that experience like? It was cool. It was complicated. It was like plotting it on a flowchart, getting this flowchart software. So I like, cause it's a, you know, you make decisions in the game that impact uh, your path and making that flowchart and having each node on the flowchart be like a link to the page of the dialogue that is within that like little node of gameplay slash story. It was like a big project and it was really satisfying to have come together for sure. But yeah, the idea of doing it with like a large team versus just like, it was kind of, the one friend of mine who I sent it off to and was pretty agreeable with everything. Like, that was fun collaboration, but it would be cool to collaborate on a larger scale, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Janet, Rebecca, you ever been tempted in a direct way by any job at a studio? Uh, I mean, I don't think I, I don't think I'd be very good at it. I think everybody imagines themselves kind of changing games to be the way that they want to be or something, just kind of being part of that world building and story building and, and kind of wanting to mold that direction of where that goes. Um, I would love to do that even if I wouldn't be so good at it just uh, I don't know coming up with ideas ah the ideas person influencing that yeah yeah, yeah. the, the yeah. world building and this, the character building and everything like that yeah. yeah I'm like I'm more of a visionary I don't have skills or anything but I can right. just exactly. like come in and like 
you know, maybe I go on a stage. Like, I don't know mm, what I'm talking about. I'm okay. saying we can do things we're not going to do. Like, I'm ready to bring down this theoretical <laughs> studio. Like but everybody no. thinks that they would be so good at that. But I know it's so much harder than it actually is. <laughs> no yeah, question. like I... I don't know enough to have like a really specific answer, but uh, I'm definitely open to it. it. It's not something I want to do or else you would see me or hear me more actively pursuing whatever those steps would be. And, right. Like, spoilers. I have not done any of that. Like that's not reflected in any of my content and I'm not doing it behind the scenes. Um, yeah. For me, the appeal of working on like the development side has always been still more within like my wheelhouse. So like, I'd be a developer in the sense that everyone that helps get a game made is the developer, but I don't really see myself doing, having like a more direct hand in, like, I guess what we generally think of when we think of game developer, we picture people typing away and, and making code and building the thing. I feel like I'd have more of a role in a studio or with a publisher that is more of a communications based role, which is like what I do yeah. now. You know, I don't really see myself getting in there and like doing stuff but life's long like i'm not a, i'm not opposed to it and it does seem cool but um not an appeal point for me right now yeah like that focusing fully on one game or one series or just one studio's games like that's a big commitment and we're really spoiled i think by being able to jump around and think about all these different games like all right this week really focusing on skyward sword next week who knows what we'll be talking about probably whatever ea is announcing right and i think that i think keeps things very fresh but the idea of working at a studio like i've never really been too tempted there's obviously the path of like okay i could be a video producer at some studio maybe at some point i probably applied a couple times along the way um but i was never really too passionate about it because it's like what best case scenario i'm making pokemon trailers like that just does not seem very fun just to loop that music over and over and over again <laughs> Yeah. There's something that seems really hard about the idea of working for one thing on one to for one to four years. Yeah. And then it comes out and is discussed for two weeks, three weeks. Best case scenario disappears. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I always think about this. I always think about how long developers have had to sit on secrets. Like, think of The Last of Us Part Two and all the surprises in that game, how wild that game story is. And that game came out, what, last summer? So a year ago, but it feels like, oh my God, that's ages ago. Who would even think about that? But think about like from Neil Druckmann and the rest of the team's position where they were sitting on those surprises for four to five years before that. They're just trying to reframe constantly. Like I understand in this interview why the developer is more passionate about talking about these crazy ideas. It's like, yeah, because it happened so many years ago when they were at peak excitement about this, you know? So just trying to reframe it constantly from how long they've been sitting on this. Mm -hmm. Anyways, Tim Laro uh, submits a comment over on Patreon saying, I'm listening to the interview with uh, Mark Dara, and it made me reflect, this is on our YouTube channel, former Bioware producer, uh, made me reflect on what I've learned from game developers. While I don't make games, it's clear that lessons can be taken for life and for my career. What are some life or work lessons that you have learned from game developers? One I think about from Double Fine Adventure was how painful it was for people to work so hard and then get extensive notes from Tim Schafer. Constructive criticism is a painful pill to swallow, but it makes things better to continuously throw out work and iterate on it. Yeah, I think that's a great one. A great lesson from game developers in general is just that power of iteration. Even like, you know, hearing the stories of them writing Portal 2 and we think of, oh, Portal 2, it's great, it's funny. But how many times they rebuilt that script and focus tested that script and that entire story over and over and over again. I think we're all spoiled again by being able to hey, make a podcast, put it out the door. But like, imagine if we iterated on this podcast that we're recording right now over and over and over again, we could make it perfect. I don't know. 
Um, a lesson I liked that I was trying to find the exact quote for and I couldn't was just a, it was some interview with a Ubisoft level designer. I don't even remember about what game, but they were just talking about the importance of constraints on a project and like you can get lost when you don't have things restricting you, you know, right. when, when you have limitless places to go with it. But if you have like a core set of rules, you're you're coming from like the best art comes out of necessity like that. And I thought it was interesting. And I'm sure the real quote is even better wherever yeah. it is. <laughs> and that's why you want that job of you need to rewrite this exact specific scene instead of just write a conversation between any two people, whoever you want, Leo, go. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's impossible. Um, Rebecca, are you into stupid questions? It depends what kind of stupid question. Okay, well, get a load of this one. This is, my name is Dan. Uh, he writes in and says, could you all do your best sheesh? i.e. sheesh oh my god and then come to a vote on who has the best sheesh um leo do you want to give us a sheesh i was just thinking yesterday i was like oh phew the sheesh thing is over and i didn't have to figure it out <laughs> wait this is a thing yeah yeah wait, it's like you do the I've ice in your veins and then you say it um i'm gonna wait, be whoa, honest whoa, whoa, whoa. i will not do it wait because it's too i've never heard of this before. okay rebecca yeah, thank TikTok. you i'm so you glad i'm not alone you say it yeah, like you just, it's like a, it's kind of hard for me to explain what it means. It's just like a, it's just a thing. It's kind of like how dabbing's a thing. It's just a thing, like, at this point. But Same I won't do it because <laughs> I I don't like being put in positions where yep. due to my work, people think it'd be amusing for me to do something that's very, like, internet meme mm. Um I got this a lot when I talked to Miss Garcia. Can you dab? Can you whatever? I'm not going to dab. I'm not going to floss. Like, Mm, like we're gonna have to no i'm just not gonna do it so right. you cannot get my you cannot get my best sheesh if, I, okay. if it's something i did normally i would do it yeah. but since i don't do it it would feel like i'd feel washed doing it yeah you really <laughs> so. deflated my enthusiasm for this because i thought this was just sheesh as in good old-fashioned like sheesh but you're, i didn't know that it's the equivalent of dabbing for christ's sake <laughs> yeah i mean it's like i think it's a comparable for for the sake of this conversation yeah and the the knowledge everyone respectively has i think that's my easiest kind of okay way to break it down but yeah okay we'll move on then uh but thank <laughs> you for teaching us what cool people are doing um because everybody young is cool is that the way it works rebecca don't ask me uh, i'm okay. not cool <laughs> uh, damn it um anyways nick l writes in and says janet will you floss which I think is inappropriate. No, uh, Nick. No, but in. I will admit that I did. I did finally get down how to floss because in my private life I will floss to be dumb, <laughs> um, and I never knew how to bring it back. But I finally learned, and I learned like three years too late. So I can do it. Uh, I won't do it now. Like I don't do it on command. It's gotta like I gotta be in the moment, you know. But and it's gotta be with someone question, special. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah save you know what I mean. Like that's yeah. like that's beyond Patreon exclusive. Like that's just like my apartment you know that's yeah. like next level content <laughs> i had a just i was blown away by some flossing recently which rarely happens but when i saw black widow in the theaters um there were <laughs> these three kids i don't know probably like 13 or something in the front row talked throughout the entire movie Mm. loudly they kept like repeating lines but not like in a fun way like making fun of the movie and it's the type of thing where it's like that should drive me insane and normally it would but it had been a year and a half since i went to a theater and so i was just tickled pink i was like look at it. there's other people here look at them they're interacting with this movie in a completely different way from the way i want to be interacting with this movie right now <laughs> they're spilling their candy loudly on the ground so it was literally the entire theater at multiple points i'm not exaggerating i mean like hundreds of people were going shh 
or maybe they're saying sheesh. I couldn't quite make it out. Maybe they're all just really hip. But people <laughs> were trying to shush these kids throughout the entire movie. And then at the end of the movie, as the credits were rolling, these three kids went to the front of the theater and then just flossed in front of everybody. I can't. How, I, I don't know if I could have handled that. You handled that a lot better than I would have. I think Thanks. I would have had something. I wouldn't be on this episode. Like something would have broken <laughs> like, within well, me. What are I going to do? Go um, up and tackle them? I don't know. I mean, it's it's weird because I'm like, would I like call an usher? But then it's like, ah, they are just kids. Like, I remember being like, a, you know, in high school, I wasn't that obnoxious ever. Uh, thank God. But I remember like whenever I would take public transit as an adult, like there'd always be that group of kids that was like 12 friends and they're loud and yeah. they're annoying. and they got their, But I'm like, you know what? You live your life because when I was in high school, I did the exact same thing because you always traveled in packs and it was like kind of a safety thing and just a social thing. And you couldn't help but be kind of loud because like, you're, you're a kid. I don't know. You're trying to study for like physics and someone's drinking an energy drink and somebody, you know, opening a honey bun and then you got to mm-hmm. move out the way. Like, that's just kind of the nature of of being young. But um, yeah. I once had one of you know, my students would floss sometimes because that's what, what you would do. And one of my kids once flossed like so fast. It's still to this day the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen. Um, yeah, I miss the hell out of those kids. <laughs> they broke the record. Yeah, I, it's it's such a weird thing, but it's it was strangely empowering to be a little uh, little stinker back in the day like i remember seeing this really dates me but i saw the wing commander movie in theaters <laughs> and i just checked that so i would have been 12 years old and i remember it was like the first time that i went with like a group of friends and there were like a bunch of girls there and i remember it was like the big moment of like we are making fun of this movie throughout the entire movie and it's <laughs> very rightfully done that movie sucked hard uh but we just roasted that movie throughout it and i remember thinking while that was happening like it's happening. This is cool. We're like the cool older people now in a theater making fun of a movie. So hopefully the Black Widow experience was that for those stupid kids. Empowering. It's empowering. And, you know, everybody wants to shush them. We're all just jealous. We want to be the 13-year-old screaming at the screen. That would be fun. It'd be more fun than quietly watching a movie. Yeah, nobody got up and outflossed them at the end. They know they were beaten. <laughs> That's right. We all slinked away in shame. <laughs> Uh, Nick L. writes in and says, hello, cohorts, and a special hello to special guest Rebecca. Good name, by the way, Rebecca. Rebecca Stone is solid. Well, thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> Do you get that a lot? No. Okay. Well, it sounds like it should be a CBS show or something. It's just, it's a good or name. like a Marvel Yeah, it's very character. Jessica Jones, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I like that. Thank yeah. You. It's, it's just a granite Ms. pillar Stone. of a name. Anyways, Nick writes in and says, uh, okay, what's the worst ad... Worst. Oh, wait. What is the worst ad to sit through? Something you already have or something you don't have but will never want? I think the ad for something I already have is worse, especially if I'm online. If they're collecting all this data on me, they're not doing a very good job of figuring out what I already own. That is true. That's a really good question. That's, That's good like question. if you buy something on Amazon and then they send you emails, you might also like this exact same thing in different brands. And it's like, I already bought that thing. I don't need it in different brands. You like cables? Try these cables. <laughs> yeah, I don't need it. I just bought it. I think it depends on the length and the frequency of the ad, but I'm going to lean on. Oh, man. I'm going to lean on something I don't have and like don't want. As yeah. the, that was an option, right? That was a two. Because specifically, I'm thinking of 
this, um, you know, I'm on, I'm on TikTok a lot and I keep getting the same ad for this. Now I feel like I'm giving the promo. I don't remember the name of the company, but it's a dress that it basically has a skirt built underneath it where it's like shorts and, you know, the, the, the top part is just the dress. Yeah. And they're like really heavily marketing this thing. And I even tried, I even went to the account. Like I took the time, I looked up the account and I blocked the account to try to get like, that's what I do on Twitter too. Every time I get an ad, I block that brand until I live in an ad free vacuum that's the dream i don't know it's not gonna work but that's what i do and i still get those ads and i've i've gotten them so much so it depends on how aggressive i think the marketing is for something that i don't want but sometimes i do you know me and my family will be like yeah we already have hbo max like or i hate that hb like is it hbo max that they have ads like within their service for other like hbo stuff and i'm like i already paid yeah, I'm go. i'm already here right, like we right. are all here but together. you can be using it more experience. think about it I yeah, guess. yeah. The ads for stuff that you would never want. Like, I think about all the ads I've experienced in my life for like car insurance. It's like I don't, I don't know. I guess I got State Farm a thousand years ago. I will never think about it again. But just, <laughs> I'm overwhelmed by car insurance or even car ads. Or like, I'm gonna yeah. buy one every fifteen years. Leave me alone, and I'm not gonna remember this commercial. I promise you. Because they're all the same. They're all the same. They go from point A to point B. Great. (laughs) (laughs) But what if you drove on the beach? Car things. You just struck something in me. I hate when you're listening to the radio and a commercial comes on that has like car beeping or sirens or anything like those should not be allowed to be in ads. While you're driving. Yep, I agree. Yep, it's very confusing. Um, Oh, yeah. Reminds me. This is a complete tangent. But I used to have a car where the low fuel sound was identical to one sound. I think it's in the wall in Pink Floyd's The Wall. Somewhere in that album, there's just like this beep that's a very subtle beep in the background and it would drive me nuts because every time I would drive it and listen to that album, I would think, oh, I'm low on fuel. Anyways, the real (laughs) worst ad, this is the worst ad I've seen in a very long time. It plays all the time on Hulu because I'm going through Mary Tyler Moore and just loving it, but these ads are driving me nuts. And it's this ad with Margot Robbie, Margot Robbie, and it's for watches. Has anybody seen this? It's just black and white, and it's her just talking about the concept of time. Let's just, let's soak it in together. I'm going to let everybody suffer here. It's 20 past 12. A watch could keep you on track. It could be an expression of your personality. I was born at 7.45 in the morning. Probably the earliest I've ever gotten up. (laughs) Except for a work day. It's 11.35. I remember we were skydiving. It didn't feel like I was falling. It felt like I was still and the world was rushing past me. It was a really strange feeling, but it went forever. It's 3.05. I think I make the biggest life decisions in a split second. As an actor, you have to cry, you have to laugh, you have to be real, you have to find the truth of it. You have to do it in a in a second. And sometimes it's happening and sometimes it's not. And It's her just rambling about the concept of time <laughs> so in these good. non-sequiturs. How much more of that is there? I wouldn't have it, known that's an ad, like just listening to it. Yeah, it's, podcast. It is Margot's only bad performance is her talking about the concept <laughs> of time. Um, it goes on for 35 more minutes, Janet. You probably keep getting it because you, sky, you skydived that one time. Oh, that's probably true. Was that what it felt like? Did it feel like the world was rushing past you? Like you weren't falling, but instead it, the world was moving? It felt like my tandem buddy was Margot Robbie talking about watches. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jesse Jockstrap Brown Ball Doc. All right. Welcome. Says, hey, everybody. What are some ways? I'm sorry. What are some things in games that used to scare you, even though they were intent- never intended that way? My example would be the abandoned Jinjo village at the start of Banjo-Tooie. The music and the atmosphere of that place used to freak me out when I was younger. My brother and I had a lot of fun with the game, but I haven't picked up the game since. 
Any other games that were secretly scary? Just all boss battles. I had like, uh, well, I had really bad anxiety, ha! Huh? <laughs> but as a kid, I was really stressed about doing bosses. Like, they always seemed really hard to me, and they are sort of presented to be like the big thing you have to do, even though they weren't necessarily always difficult, like with Yoshi's Island being one of the most distinct ones where I would struggle so much, despite the fact that like you have you have unlimited eggs and there are like places you can stand where you get no damage. But I wasn't aware of all of that strategy when I was five. So it was just scary to me. And like, you know, the music changes and I never know how to say his name. Is it Kamek? You know, the little wizard yeah, dude. Yeah, I think so. Right. He fl- like it's like he got a regular enemy and then he flies by and now he's big and it's like oh man it's on you know it's like this is the big thing and then if you mess it up you gotta go back so I always found that really stressful the final boss um, too like it changes the tone of Yoshi's Island that huge was like bang, bang, bang. like oh my god no, no, yeah no, no. yeah it's like oh but then you know the music is all crazy and uh, that and um I think I was a little bit afraid or like stressed out by um who also becomes a boss at one point spoilers from Art sixty four um what's his name Swamp. Is yeah, it, no, it's not Thwomp, because Thwomp's the thing that, the, the so, black one, you know? Womp and Thwomp, are those, oh god, help us, Rebecca, you're on womp, a Nintendo womp, podcast, you gotta save us! Not Mario. Damn it! <laughs> uh, yeah, either Womp or Thwomp, yeah. He's got the, the, the white axe strategically yes. on his back, so yep. you know exactly where to hit him. Yeah, he's yeah, scary. Yeah, he's scary. Just because he, he looks so mean, yeah. And like, that yeah. was the craziest thing, is we did the deepest dive on Super Mario 64, and... The most common comment throughout that entire thing was people writing in talking about how scary the game was. They're like, it was just, horrifying. There's like the tone of the castle freaked me out. Obviously, his name is Womp. Womp. Thank you. Uh, obviously, uh, the spooky eyeball world is terrifying. The piano. Yep. Exactly. That was scary. Jump scare. Yeah. Piano is scariest thing in a game. Oh yeah. Uh, I remember Max Payne's in face creeping me out <laughs> as a kid. What do you mean? It looks that like a normal human like, man. Photo of a weird-looking <laughs> face plastered onto a 3D guy. I remember seeing images of it in Mac Addict magazine. It's <laughs> making me uncomfortable. And then later on, when you met Sam Lake, I was like, oh "My God, this is my truest nightmare." I screamed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I I don't know how scary this is supposed to be, but Mist people rarely talk about. Don't talk about enough how scary that game was. The book. There's a book that you're reading where like one of the brothers or both of the brothers, I forget, are like trapped in this book and you open the book and it's just loud static, which in and of itself, anything loud all of a sudden is terrifying. And then the brother is trapped in the book and coming through the static begging for help. And like that is the scariest thing is like have something scary that then is begging you for help because it seems like they're in pain. The worst. Makes Mist nearly unplayable. Uh, Mike Spam. Submits a question over on Patreon and says, Hey, everybody, I have a game for you that I like to call Letting Off Steam. I went to the official Steam discussion boards for various games in search of funny discussion titles, and I've collected them below. Your job is simple. Figure out what game these folks are talking about based on the discussion board topics. Ooh, that Excellent. sounds fun. Okay, so in increasing cluiosity, I believe is the word. Uh, okay, so first discussion. Where's my laser sight? Second question, or second discussion, legendary armadillo. <laughs> Is this Leo, from the same game? Same game. Leo, I'm looking at you. Okay. Third, need car recommendation. <laughs> Laser sight, cars, legendary armadillo. Uh, the fourth, Keanu Reeves calls you up. Cyberpunk? That's Cyberpunk 2077. I'm trying to remember, what is the armadillo in Cyberpunk? Yeah. 
That threw me off. Is that like a tank or a weapon? Something you can craft? I'm not sure. Uh, somebody should do the deepest dive on that, Leo. Um, okay, <laughs> here we go. Uh, number one discussion is can't find dead body. It could be anything. <laughs> How can I have zero likes? Can't uh, find dead body is an interesting one because I'm like dream. Do you no. want to find a dead ball? That's a great question, Leo. There's only You're one that I can think of. Uh, in a game that has likes in it, how can I have zero likes? Demon Souls? Nope. Am I That's also am I also being a jerk? <laughs> it's a great discussion. <laughs> and then the dead body throws it. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody here played this game, but then as a hater of this walking simulator, I have chosen to buy the game for research purposes, of course. Death Stranding? There we go. Death Stranding. Perfect. (laughs) You know, somebody wants zero likes. I like the MI also being a jerk, like what they're doing to other people's worlds. They're wondering, like, wait a minute. Am I ruining their time? Okay, here we go. Children and sleeping time. Is it possible that your spouse can cheat on you? Weird questions. No. Weird question about livestock not eating a patch of grass. Stardew Valley. Very good. Good right. job. There we go. Uh, and then <laughs> this is this is why Stardew Valley rules as a game because the other big discussion topic is min max meta for spring, which is probably <laughs> that should have been our YouTube URL actually. Um, thank you, thank you so much, Mike Spam, for submitting that game. All right, Rebecca, not to put you two on the spot, but do you have a favorite question? Submit it over oh. here. There are a lot of good questions. It's true. Okay, um, we have, uh, just to jog your memory, there's the console design. Uh, I like the one about being part of game development. Sheesh was a surprising twist along the way. <laughs> um, but does anybody else have one that really stands out? Ubisoft one, I think, was one of those simple, <laughs> clever say- nuggets. The Ubisoft one made me think because I am really searching the depths of my brain to think of a a game that I finished and I don't know if there is one. You're right. You're right. Janet, can you get behind that too? Yeah. Pretty good. All right. There we go. Congratulations, Travis Brinkley for the very basic, but you're right, Leo. Like it's one of those that I've never seen anybody ask, but it does open a new layer in your brain of like, oh yeah, Ubisoft (laughs) games, you can finish them. Uh, So congratulations (laughs) to Travis. Uh, I am 8-Bit will ship out uh, that soundtrack, the final soundtrack to Rocket League. Thanks to I am 8-Bit. Now it's time for something we call get a load of this. Okay. Rebecca, the way this works, we all have a little tidbit. Zero pressure. It could just be completely forgettable. For example, I'll go first. Mine is, there's links below for all these, by the way. Um, Hey, everybody, uh, get a load of this. Um, The Olympics are coming up, right? And uh, there's this gymnast that I'm sure everybody's hip to, Simone Biles? Is that how you pronounce the last name? Uh, There is just this tweet uh, that's just showing off, and it says the angle of Simone here is insane something to that effect i think fire maybe and it's just a basic shot of a floor and then her running and then doing a crazy flip in the air and understand there's a little spring to the floor but it feels like something supernatural like it i've watched it so many times and it does not make sense how somebody's able to launch themselves in the air and do a 1440 i don't even know what she's doing it's just absurd so do yourself a favor and look at somebody doing an amazing thing uh, there's a link below it kind of reminds me too. Did you see 
Last week, there was that baseball player named Fernando Tatis Jr., Tatis Jr., but um, everybody was sharing this clip of him because he caught a ball, and it looks like he does a double jump in midair. Uh, I'll include this link down below, too. <laughs> it's just the most absurd thing because he's in the air, and he realizes within milliseconds he's not going to be able to catch the ball, and he genuinely goes like, and just reshifts his weight and moves his feet, and he then goes higher and catches the ball. It is absurd to watch in slow motion, but you know what? Some people are really impressive physically. He unlocked it early. You know, That's right. Jump. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So I'm like, how'd you get there? Like the it's, fabled double jump. It's before you get for the glide. I'm regretting it. <laughs> yeah. Kyle told us to get that glider and I'm like, I never use it. What mm-hmm. am I doing here? Uh, Leo, you Doesn't got one? Up. Yeah. Get a load of this creepy uh, doll. They shot the movie Twilight with. Rather, the last Twilight movie. I, I went through this series recently with my girlfriend, and we had a great time watching it. And the baby, sorry spoilers, the baby in the last movie is clearly computer generated. Yeah. And we looked into why that was, and it was because they originally did have a physical animatronic of the baby. And it, they had to CG over it. It is <laughs> horrifying looking. Twilight prop baby. All right, there's a link below oh for everybody if you want to be horrified. And it's a video that has like some clips from the DVD like extras is where they have footage of it. And it's the actors like holding this ridiculous animatronic. It's very entertaining. Wait, I think I'm seeing a picture of his face right now and that's horrifying. <laughs> All right, uh, Rebecca, do you have one? Oh man, none of mine are that good that's or anything. Fine. I've been so into the Ask Awada book yeah. um, lately. So, I mean, there's this book is filled with like so many facts and stuff. Just one of them, just before um, we started, I was reading some of it and just the dedication that this man had. I didn't know that he, um, when he um, was president, he interviewed all of his employees twice a year, like a hundred some employees. Um, so often at the year, like whether they were a top rank or, you know, just kind of just, any, any old employee, like part-time employee, he would interview them twice a year and really ask them, are you happy with what you're doing? And that really struck something with me, like asking them, are you happy? And if they said no, then he would work with them to, to figure that out and find out, well, what are you doing that is not working? What's not happy? And then he would actually change stuff. And man, to have a boss like that and like it's... <laughs> No wonder why he's a legend now because of things like that. Yeah. Good book. If you, you want to learn more about, there's so many good facts in this book. It's really good. And that's a great point. Like it's fascinating because yeah, he starts that when he's the president of Hal, when it's a pretty small crew and he's like, yeah, sure. I'll have like long one-on-one discussions with all the employees. And then when you're in charge of Nintendo, it's like, well, I can't not do this. So he's just with these developers for hours to just he unpack. Said some would be hours long with just some small employee, like low level employee. Yeah. And like, oh, well, that's, that's so great. no wonder that's yeah. where a lot of ask comes from. Right. Cause he's very good at asking questions. Uh, turns out cause he's had to ask questions to like, you know, a, a random technician that's just hired on the team or something, you know, but that's, that's so sweet. Um, Janet. Yeah. Get a load of this. Uh, Drake had a date at an empty Dodger stadium, which is, I think he's done this before where it's just like, and what's what, blows me about this story is not that he did that because he's like rich but the whole point was like oh so we can be alone and have dinner alone and also i don't know be in this empty dodger stadium for some reason but of course like everyone found out because a helicopter just flew over to like get footage and pictures and stuff and i was just like thinking about that especially in context to like a conversation we had either last episode or an episode ago about like like fame and pseudo fame and like that relation i'm like that i'm like (laughs) you clearly just can't if you can do that and still not be alone, like that's pretty wild to me. And also I was trying to figure out like in my household, 
well, even if I, if I was that rich, yeah. is that something I'd even want to do? Because it just seems weird. <laughs> it's like, too to obnoxious. Bring a, a, a dinner table to like, like you're where the shortstop stands. You're just gonna put a dinner table there and just eat. It seems a little bit odd. Rich people run out of stuff to do. That's the lesson. Yeah, it's like they're basically living as if we were living in a simulation. You know, if we were like in the matrix, we might be living in a simulation. Well, we probably are, but I guess you know, if we were in the matrix, like what we'd be doing, like ten years in, is just like just weird stuff like that, right? I'm just like, well, I guess I've never, I don't know, lit myself on fire. I guess I'll do that, and that's what a lot of rich people are living through now. So we have to honor and respect it. Yeah, well, hopefully yeah. they try lighting themselves on fire. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, hey, everybody in the Discord, uh, Toby submitted a link. Um, uh, with a tweet from IGN that Psychonauts 2 will feature an invincibility toggle as developer Double Fine believes, quote, all people should be able to enjoy games. Uh, and then Double Fine went on uh, to explain that all people should be able to enjoy games, all ages, all possible needs. It's an ongoing and important process for our industry and a challenge we need to meet. Uh, end of the day, we want you to have fun, to laugh, to experience a story that affects you on whatever terms you want. I, I love that idea. Just just put it in. If anybody wants it, they can have it. And I don't think there's a big downside. Like Rift Apart was really great on that front, just letting you skip puzzles, skip so many things. And I didn't hear anybody complain about it. Is there a downside to doing this? No. Anything that makes a game more accessible to as many people as possible is a good thing. Yeah. 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 The worst people in the world will get mad about it if that's a downside. Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. Um, well, hey. That's it for the podcast. Uh, Rebecca, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. Uh, what would you like to plug? If you could point people in one or two directions, where would you point them? Oh, you can find me on Twitter, Twitch, everywhere at Forest Minish. That's where I kind of put all my links to everything. Um, yeah, find me on, on writing for Twinfinite, Nintendo Shack podcast. Go look me up at Forest Minish. Sweet. <laughs> it's all there. That sounds great. Yeah, thanks again for being here. Um, let's see, stuff we have. We have the Lord of the Rings commentary track. Uh, we just posted that. It's a Patreon exclusive. If you support us over on Patreon, you unlock the full commentary track for the Fellowship of the Ring with Leo Vader, myself, and my old childhood friend, Ronnie. Um, it's basically just a podcast that's four hours long about Lord of the Rings. So if you're into that, check that out. We're going to be doing the rest of the trilogy. Someone about Lord of the Rings. Yeah, we talk about Lord of the Rings every <laughs> once in a while, but the people that listen to it seem to like it so far, Leo. It was very fun. I'm really proud of it. Oh, good. Yes, you can unlock that. Also, you get the commentary tracks for Advent Children and uh, the Star Wars sequel trilogy and a bunch of other fun stuff. So we appreciate the support. Um, Also, this Friday, well, first of all, this Thursday, Janet's going to be streaming on twitch.tv slash show. Do you know what you're streaming yet, Janet? No pressure, no pressure. I don't think I know yet. All right. Keep Maybe thinking about it. Splatoon 2 is in my back pocket, so I might do Ooh. that. But I know people would want to play, and it's Nintendo, so it just gets so hard to play. Like, you yeah. might just be watching me lose the Turf Wars, but we'll and see. And you could finish Breath of the Wild. Oh. I could. I could. I could. Honestly? Finish a lot of things. That'd be kind of fun. Jump back into Breath of the Wild with the community kind of... I'm like, I'm not you. shutting down the stream until this we roll credits. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. But yeah. the big star of the show, other than Janet streaming on Thursday, is on Friday at 5 p.m. Central. Uh, because we hit our channel points goal on Twitch, uh, we're going to be streaming Mario Party. Super Mario Party with the online modes. It's going to be Janet and Serial and Jeffum and Sarah Podzorski. Uh, Min Max's streaming compatriot all jumping in there for... Janet, what I was promised would be a very intense and very competitive round of Super Mario Party. Yeah, I'm ready to be bitter. So perfect. Can't wait. Yeah, look forward to that. You can follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash minmaxshow. We appreciate the support. Also, 
We have the deepest dive coming up. Leo, we are going to take the deepest dive into... Drumroll, please, Leo. You won't be able to hear it because of Discord. <laughs> That's right, everybody. Dead Space 1. Dead Space 1 will be the next deepest dive in honor of a lot of rumors swirling about maybe what EA is going to be announcing next week at EA Play, which is happening on that Thursday. Uh, so... We are going to be taking the deepest dive into Dead Space 1. Uh, Rebecca, it's kind of like a community game club where we encourage everybody to play along with us. Um, and so we are going to be playing through the first half of that game. So the first six chapters. So until the end of chapter six. Um, and then on July 26th is when we'll be taking your comments over at patreon.com slash with two ends with your thoughts on the first six chapters of Dead Space 1. Dead Space 1 is available all over the place. I believe it's on Game Pass. Uh, the PC version is a little... I remember the resolution being a little bit janky and stuff, but it's also still available on Steam if you want to play it there. But then we'll be finishing it off the week after that. So if you're excited about potentially EA doing something cool with Dead Space and you're excited about that announcement, you can go relive the first one with uh, all of us. It'll be a great time. So we're excited to see what you all have to say about Dead Space. So please play along with us and you can help us create the best, most thorough discussion about Dead Space on the internet. All right. Hey, thanks for a podcast, everybody. We appreciate it. Rebecca, thank you again for being here. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody who's in the thank you crew over there on Patreon at that $50 tier. I'm talking about Hello Hyrule Podcast, I Am 8-Bit, Mercurico Torreno, Beaten Down Brian, Zachary Pliggy, Andrew Eukerwitz, Jawar Hello, Mark Seliga, PrettyGoodPrinting.com, Connor McCabe, Ludwig Roque, John Higby, Best of the Rest Podcast, Andrew Valla, Logan Kraus, Spiral in Your Eyes, Drew Waranis, Clint Farley, Spider Dan, Purebred Number 6, Starkiller, Steve Bamdad, Slick Nick, and Pretham Yarlagata. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good, have fun, let's go! Let's go!